This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So good to see you guys this morning as we continue our series after pausing this last week through uh, the book of Colossians in the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, um, would you go ahead and open those to chapter one of Colossians? Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you or maybe don't have a a Bible app you're looking at, the words will be up here on the screen um, so you can follow along there. But the passage we'll be looking at from chapter uh, one, both this morning and continuing next a week is one of the, the most significant in all of Scripture. Uh, it's one of the highest uh, Christological passages that deals with who Christ is and his place um, in, the universe, in the universe and in the Godhead. It is a passage that, um, quite frankly, demolishes the doctrines of Mormonism, of Jehovah's Witnesses, of Islam. Uh, it, is, it is a passage that has been so treasured um, it has been memorized and sung and quoted uh, as much as anything else in Scripture throughout the history of the church. So we're going to hear uh, a word from God this morning through Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 uh, through 20. And we'll focus this morning on verses 15 through 17. Let's go ahead and read this passage this morning. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, these are high and exalted words. God, I pray that they would slam with all the force that you intend into our lives today. That your Holy Spirit, God, would open your written word and cause it to be your living word in our lives as we gather this morning. God, transform our thinking. Stir the affections of our hearts for you. God, make straight, crooked ways in our lives. God, where there are wounds this morning, I pray that you'd heal. Where there's uncertainty and anxiety, I pray that you'd calm and give peace. God, where there's Overwhelming and darkening doubt give assurance and faith. 
And God, where a relationship lacks with you and there's rebellion and hardness of heart, God, I pray as we sang about this morning that you would call them out of the grave into new life, out of darkness into light, out of estrangement into relationship with you. Lord Jesus, risen Christ, make yourself known to us in a glorious way this morning. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen. All right, we look at this passage, particularly verses 15 through 17 this morning, and right out of the gate here, uh, Paul says an astonishing thing. He says, the Son, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. This had to be a, a powerful statement coming from one who saw the risen Lord to a church of people in Colossae who were used to images representing power and figureheads. They were used to images on coins as we are, representing the people in whose likeness that image has been made, yet with different degrees of authority and sovereignty as they saw the imprint of Caesar on their coins. The Jews among them were used to this language from Genesis chapter one. Don't miss the fact that this is, this is creation language. And you're going to find that this is a passage rooted in the idea of creation and new creation. That Jesus is the, the sovereign Lord of creation and the sovereign Lord of new creation. We find in the gospel of John, verse 18, the gospel writer saying this, no one has ever seen God. This is why the Son is the image of the invisible God. God is spirit. He's not flesh and bone. He's not matter. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Has made him known. John says there that Jesus is in closest relationship with God the Father, and Jesus is himself God. Powerful statements. Um, again, I just want to remind you what you've heard before, most of you, many times, that you can't simply acknowledge Jesus as a good man, as someone who's ethical and moral, as someone whose statements about love and goodness and forgiveness and peace rank among the highest in all of human history. You must acknowledge or deny Jesus as God. There is no wiggle room there. We're gonna come back to this part of verse 15, but let's look at the second part here. Um, Paul says, he's the image of the invisible God. He is the, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Now, this does not mean that Jesus was the first created being. That's heresy. That's heresy. There was a guy named Arius in the early fourth century who read this and, and thought, you know what? This is what this says. And he began to, to teach this and develop a, a heresy known as Arianism that the wider church in the region completely rejected based on the totality of Scripture revealed to them under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And in two councils, Nicaea and Chalcedon, they flatly rejected that. They flatly rejected that. Arianism and its denial of the deity of Christ 
Paul makes clear here, the gospel writer John makes clear, Jesus is God. Now he's not saying, again, that he is the the first created being. What he's saying here is that Jesus Christ is utterly unique. Christ is utterly unique. He is eternally prior to and supreme over all that has been created. He is eternally prior to and he is supreme over everything that has been created. Christ reigns supreme. The centrality and supremacy of Christ um, is what Paul is getting at here, both in time and rank. He's before all that is, and he is above all that is. I'll just tell you, where, where you struggle in your life and where I struggle in mine, if we would focus on the glory and the supremacy and the character and person of Christ, rather than whatever the thing is we're trying to defeat, you and I are going to experience much more victory. Because Jesus is better than. And I want to challenge you this morning, whatever the thing is that your heart is most yearning for right now in this season, will you dare to believe that Jesus is better than that? That Jesus is more than that? That Jesus was before and is above that which you feel like will bring you most fulfillment. That which you believe will make you most whole. Jesus is more. He's just simply better. And all of our sin is bound up in the moment in believing that he's not. That in the moment, this thing that we want, this practice that we're about to engage in, this thought that we're going to give life to, in the moment we believe is better. It's going to bring us more joy. It's going to bring us more fulfillment. And Paul says, that's not true at all. And remember, he's speaking to the Colossians here who are adapting all kinds of things into their faith. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You don't need any of that. Christ and Christ alone. Christ was before all of that. Christ is above all of that. Don't make impure what is pure. And he goes on in verse 16, he says, for in him all things were created. And then he gives three sets of qualifiers. Before I I read those qualifiers, I just want to read you a quick verse, uh, again from John chapter one, verse three. He says, through him, that is Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So so through Christ, uh, everything has been created. Even mosquitoes. They must have attained their current power after the fall. But everything that exists was created through him and for him. He gives three sets of qualifiers, as I said. Look at these. He says, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Let's camp out here for just a second. When he says uh, things in heaven and on earth, what Paul is doing is using two things that speak of one. Like pieces of, of bread that hold a sandwich together. He's, he's speaking of the entire universe, all of the created order, the heavens and the earth. Paul often uses this phrase, and biblical writers often use this phrase as a summary phrase to speak to everything that is. And then Paul goes on with another set of of qualifiers, and he says, both visible and invisible. Visible, obviously, being the things on earth. Invisible being the things in or of heaven. 
seen and unseen realities. We, we know just at a basic human level that there are seen and unseen realities, don't we? Like, love is not a seen reality. You can see the product of it. You can see some of the effects of it, but you can't see it. Gravity is an unseen reality, but it is a reality, isn't it? It's a reality. Seen and unseen, visible and invisible, Paul would say. And then he just throws it out there, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. What Paul is saying is all powers, both personal and structural, whatever you encounter individually and whatever we see at play in God's world, in the rise and fall of nations and governments, dictators and democracies, all supernatural beings, angels, demons, good, the bad, all were created, all were created for him and in him. Doesn't mean he created them bad, but it does mean at their origin, before their origin was Christ, and their origin owes itself and their life to Christ. It means this morning, you owe the fact that you're sitting here this morning, that you didn't die in your sleep last night to Christ. We'll flesh that out a little bit more in just a minute. I want you to, I want you to grab hold of this quote, though, um, by F.F. F. Bruce, who was a, a distinguished, brilliant 20th century New Testament scholar. He said, for those who have been redeemed by Christ, the universe has no ultimate terrors. They know that their Redeemer is also creator, ruler, and goal of all. Creator, ruler, and goal of all. Let me pull this in to where you live. Part of what Bruce is saying here, expounding and fleshing out the implications of what Paul is saying here about Christ is that what, whatever relational season you're walking through, there should be no ultimate terror there. No ultimate fear there. That you know that your Redeemer is creator, ruler, and goal of all. That whatever is happening with a child or a parent or a spouse, whatever's happening at work or you fear may happen, whatever you see the beginnings of on the news and you worry about the full effects of, that you're able to step back and say, these things hold no ultimate terror for me because I know what I know, what I know, that my Redeemer is the creator, ruler, and goal of all. He goes on, though, and he sort of uh, finishes this single statement or thought here, and he says, all things have been created through him and for him. N.T. Wright said, creation called into existence through Christ and for the sake of Christ exists in the present order to give Christ glory. Can you imagine if the single pursuit of your life was to give Christ glory? You understand that Paul's saying that is the highest pursuit of your life, right? If that is why everything exists, then that's why you exist and I exist, is to give Christ glory. Do you understand the freedom that comes in that? 
When you're not treated the way that you feel like you should be treated, instead of bitterness or retaliation, you can say, that's okay, because my only goal is to bring Christ glory. So how do I bring Christ's glory in this situation? It's not about me. You get a diagnosis you didn't expect and you would not have asked for. And you say, you know what? This brings me down, but it's not going to destroy me because my ultimate purpose in life is not to live forever. It's not extreme and perfect health. It is to glorify Christ. So how do I glorify Christ through this upcoming season. And we could go on and on. There is freedom in this. God's goodness is in this for you. If you can grasp it and hold on to it, if you can walk out of here today and as you live and make your decisions say, you know what? That's okay. It's going to be okay. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is good, right, and just. But it means that you and I don't have to let everything that happens to us destroy us and blow us here and there. We can say in all things, the highest priority, the highest goal, the highest purpose for which I live is to bring Christ glory. And I can do that regardless of what circumstance I'm walking through. I can do that if they give me all the ketchup I asked for in the drive-thru or if they give me mustard instead. Whatever it is, what Paul is writing here, he intends to interrupt you and to change the way you live through the power of the Holy Spirit as our minds are made straight by the grace and the goodness of God. Paul continues and says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I'll say um, part of why You've got to be careful with how you would look at firstborn over all creation is verse, in verse 15. It's because it's not the only thing Paul says here. That's part of how you interpret Scripture is within the passage it exists in and then within the entire scope of Scripture. That's why it's so easy to get off when you take one verse or one phrase. He says here, continuing to flesh this stuff out, that Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. Part of what Paul is doing here is speaking of Christ's eternal preexistence. That whereas Jesus of Nazareth was born in a dusty back corner of the Roman Empire, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God has always existed. He simply came in the person and took on flesh as Jesus. Douglas Moo says, what holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person, the resurrected Christ. It means that some of the, the secular humanism and new agey nonsense that is uh, put before us today, and sometimes we incorporate, you know, that, that really is l- love is what holds everything together. Let's sing about it. Let's get together and listen to a Beatles song or whatever new person is singing about it. And let's pretend that one day we're, just, we're all gonna hold hands and dance and make s'mores together. 
Let's believe with just enough education, everything's going to be grand, that it's really knowledge and illumination that holds everything together and makes societies function, or it's inclusivism. That's the thing today. Don't you dare tell me that I can't do anything, I can't believe anything, and I can't be anything. Right? It's none of that. It is the risen Lord that holds everything together, that causes planets to keep spinning, that causes the atoms in your bodies to be doing what they should be doing, that causes your heart to keep pumping, that keeps the earth spinning at just the right tilt and just the right speed so that life is sustained. It is the person and work of Christ. And this should elicit in you, as Christ's people, great confidence. I've shared with you before, uh, I, I was amazed after... Um, the brutal attacks of September 11th in 2001, the, the number of believers, the number of men and women in church who were getting emails sent to them, you know, wasn't any social media then, so emails sent to them saying, you look, look, Nostradamus, he predicted this, you know, and this is just the start, and here's what's going to happen, and this is going to come. And they'd get other things like this, and, and it, it was amazing that they were filled with fear instead of saying, whatever, I serve Christ, and Christ holds everything together. Nothing pushes back against him and changes anything. Everything that is, is by him, for him, and held together by his good pleasure. Book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I can't even get my kids to pick up by my word or threat of physical assault. And yet Jesus holds everything together, everything together by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. He holds everything together by the power of his word. One writer puts it this way. Just listen to this. No matter how widespread the destruction, no matter how disconcerting the loss, I would say no matter how high the gas or lacking the wheat, or widespread the violence. Jesus has not lost his grip on the world or our lives. The turmoil may be spiritual, or political, or economic, or personal, or corporate in nature. But in him all things still hold together. The world may appear to be swept away in moral chaos, but in him all things still hold together. One crisis may crash in upon another like the incessant waves of the ocean pounding the shoreline, but in him all things still hold together. And in him, if you remain in him, his people will not be shaken. Part of what's amazing about this, if you know the history of the region where Colossae is, is they were hit by a uh, significant earthquake in, in the year 60, 61. There's some confusion about that. But it's just about the same time frame that Paul is sending them this letter. 
And it's interesting to wonder, it's just speculation, but certainly possible. I've said to you before, when it comes to history, there is what is uh, possible, what is probable, and what is provable. Uh, it is certainly probable that his letter reached the Colossians uh, within a short time frame of the earthquake, whether it was before or after. But it is possible that it came after, and it would have been such a tremendous uh, a working of Paul to choose this wording to encourage them, not just in regards to, to what's happening in their lives spiritually and what they're taking in and, uh, on themselves, but what they may have just been through with regard to the destruction, and it was very destructive that that earthquake brought. Um, I've never been through a, a really destructive earthquake. I've been through uh, several small ones when we lived in Southern California. I always found them a, a, a rather exciting um, as long as they weren't super destructive, right? Uh, but just a little shaking, I, I just, I don't know. It just, you know, in a, in, a, in a geographical area where you basically get no seasons, it's, it's nice, uh, it breaks up the monotony. Um, Sharon did not find them exciting, but they were to me, um, except one we had in the middle of the night. When you're shaken awake, that's alarming. That's alarming. But Paul is reassuring the Colossians, and God is reassuring us this morning and you as individuals. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're going through, whatever you see happening around the world, in our nation, overseas, wherever, Christ was still before, is still above, and still holds all things together. Let's go back to verse 15. Go back to verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Um, I say this often to you, and I will continue to say this often to you for years to come, but I, I want to flesh it out a bit right now, that if there's confusion in your heart and in your mind about who God is, and make no mistake, there is often just as much confusion among people who've been in the church a long time as there is people who are outside the church. They just are far more willing to voice it than we are. What is God like? How does he relate to me? How does he relate to me when I sin? What about when I, I'm just apathetic, right? I just can't find the, the desire or the discipline to spend time with him, to engage in uh, spiritual practices that I know should characterize my life. What is God like when evil has been visited upon me and I've been the victim? What is God like when I have been the instrument of pain in other people's lives. How does God relate to me? What Paul would say to you is he, race, he relates to you how Jesus would relate to you. If you want to know who God is and what he's like, you go to Jesus. You see Jesus forgiving a woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And instead of pronouncing judgment on her as the law required, you realize God is merciful. So you run to him instead of away from him when your own sin has a grip on you. This is one of the, the most telling things about a person's spiritual maturity. The more mature you and I are, the more we run to God in our disobedience and sin rather than away from God. The more spiritually immature we are, the more we tend to withdraw from community and hide and keep ourselves out when our own sin has hold of us. You see Jesus weeping with those who are mourning 
at the loss of Lazarus. John chapter 11. And you realize God is compassionate and empathetic. So you press into him when sorrow and pain has a grip on you, knowing that he understands and he cares. And don't miss this. Jesus wasn't weeping over Lazarus. Jesus had already said, it's all right. It's all right. This is for my glory. I'm going to make this right. Don't worry about Lazarus. Jesus was weeping with those who were weeping. He was weeping because Lazarus' family and friends were weeping. And their pain and their sorrow got to him. You realize God is compassionate and empathetic. You see Jesus calming a raging storm with a simple word in Mark 4. Restoring life to a dead girl in Luke chapter 8. Healing a crippled man in Matthew chapter 9. Giving sight back to the blind in Luke chapter 18. And you realize that God is powerful and sovereign. He can do as he wills to do. In keeping with his own redemptive purposes, his character, and his own good pleasure. So you trust in him when fear and uncertainty has a grip on you. You see Jesus restoring Peter to meaningful relationship and ministry and service after his betrayal in John 21. And you realize that God is gracious and he's faithful. He's gracious and he's faithful. So you don't give up over your own failures. As the band begins making their way back up here and prepares to lead us in a time for us to respond to the Word of God, to the supremacy of Christ set before you this morning, which, could, which should cause you to, to raise up your spirits and lay at His feet any idols that have a hold of you, anything that you think if you're honest this morning, is better, bigger, more meaningful, more fulfilling, more joy-giving than Christ himself. Lay those at his feet. And know that in Jesus we see God. That in the risen Savior, Christ himself, we are held together as all things are held together. There's nothing you're going to walk through. There's no loss. There's no pain. There's no tragedy. There's no victory. There's no question. There's no doubt. There's no diagnosis. There's nothing that you're going to walk through that Christ is not before and he is not above. And if you can fix your gaze on him and remember that your lungs have air and you're alive today so that you might bring him glory, then that pushes out shame in your life. There's nothing that you can't talk about because your life's not about you, it's about the glory of Christ. And you're swept up into 
his mission, his person and work, his goodness and love for you and for all people. Let's stand this morning. As we prepare to sing, I invite any of you who are baptized believers and may feel so led by God's Spirit to step out at any time while we're singing and make your way to one of the communion stations in front or in back. Take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and receive communion, remembering that the glorification of Christ came through his crucifixion. That we serve a suffering servant. As a suffering people whose own glorification is coming in and through our risen Savior. Let's pray. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.